This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice, and all the latest developments in human resource management. Many leaders today talk the talk when it comes to making a concerted and collective effort to improve DEI throughout the employee lifecycle, from sourcing and hiring all the way through to succession planning and change management efforts. But how much has really changed over the past couple of years? How much time and money is actually being allocated to improving inclusivity and empathy in the workplace? Are we any closer now to more equitable hiring practices and an inclusive world of work? Hey, this is Bill Bannum, your host of this episode of the HR in Review pod. And today I'm gonna talk with Torin Ellis, principal at the Torin Ellis brand. Torin is a human capital strategist focused on the art of recruiting diverse talent using various creative methods. He has an accomplished background that includes 17 years of human capital efforts, military service, several board of director appointments, and unwavering spirit of giving back to the community and emerging youth. He is also the author of Rip Up the Resume, Job Search and Interview Power Prep. And he's the host of Career Mix, which airs each Sunday on Cyrus XM Urban View. In addition, Torrin's going to be a speaker at the July 6th Disrupt HR London event at the Royal Institution in Mayfair. I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Torrin. Hey, Torin, it's a pleasure to chat to you again today. I believe this might be our first time recording for this audience. Is that the case? It absolutely is the case. In fact, this is one of the first uh, podcast episodes that I've recorded with the HR Review. Uh, hey, listeners, I, I've, I've recorded a bunch uh, for a North American audience, but uh, this is pretty new to me, too. So, uh, Torin, you and I are addressing a whole new bunch of people. Yeah, well, first and foremost, thank you for trusting my voice again, because this is the second or third time that you and I have had the opportunity to vocally collide with one another. And every single instance has been rewarding. It's been frenetic. And I anticipate that we will we will share some of the same again today. So let's hop to it. Okay, Uh, then hopping to it. Let's start by maybe you can tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your career background. So Torin Ellis, um, 1R, Torin Ellis, diversity strategist and risk mitigator. I have been in the people space technically since uh, 1998. But if we are honest, all of my life from the time that I was a newspaper boy uh, in my teens to my time in the military, I led squadrons in the military, uh, corporate America. I spent five years building a high performance sales team for one of the largest telecom companies in the country. Uh, And so I've been in this people space on my own since 1998. My focus on diversity and inclusion landed right around 2011, had a couple of um, life-changing events to happen. And it just said to me, uh, no longer do I wanna be a transactional recruiter. I wanna be a trusted resource to the clients and the companies that I support. And so since 2011, 2012, I have immersed myself in the DNI space to make sure that I show up differently. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Maybe you can elaborate a wee bit, Torin. How has diversity played a critical role in your career? So, I mean, for me, it's always been present because as a black man, I'm always showing up wondering whether or not 
Um, the environment is ready to support me. Um, if, is the environment going to be honest and true to me? Uh, as an individual who has a strong connection to humanity, I'm always looking at the field, looking at other individuals. Are they welcomed? Are they being supported? Is the environment in which they are working and contributing 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week supportive of them, providing them with the resources? So I'm not only a self um, selected individual, if you will, or self-serving individual, but I'm also worried about all of the people that are around me. So for me, diversity uh, and inclusion have always been important. While I was not able to name such prior to, let's say, 2006 or seven, I never had a name for it. I just knew what I was doing. I just knew that in my recruiting effort, I was always trying to build different and diverse teams. I just knew that you know, um, when I would work with my clients and, you know, talk to the hiring managers, listen, why are you not supporting this individual? Or why are you undercompensating this individual? I didn't have a name for it. And so once I got a name and language to put around that intensity, that love for humanity, um, that's when I landed in the space 2011. So it's always been important to me. So the last time that you and I got a chance to to do a podcast interview was all the way back in July 2020, Torin. Um, and that was for the HR Chat podcast. And that was about six weeks after the murder of George Floyd. What what do you see that's changed since then, both in wider society and in the ways that we recruit and communicate with employees? Follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. I'll give you one on each side of the field. Uh, what has changed is that more people are present and having a conversation. You know, there are more voices. There's much more chatter. Uh, I see uh, quite a bit of activity, or at least um, it's spoken about that there's activity happening inside of organizations, small, medium, and large, industry agnostic. And I see that as being a positive. People really saying, you know, I, I don't know why things um, had not been addressed before now, but I think I need to do a bit more to make that happen. So, so that has been a positive bill, more activity, more energy, more interest in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and even justice and social uh, uh, injustices and some of the other things. Positive. On the other side of the balance sheet, the other side of the field, uh, a bit of lip service um, to a degree of two, three, four X. Let me give you an example. Right around the time that we made that recording in June of 2020, um, corporations of all stripes made commitments to their uh, interest in social injustice and racial issues and diversity and all of the other letters of the acronym. A number of organizations one of the numbers that floats in terms of those financial commitments, one of the numbers that's widely floated is a hundred. Um, what is the number? Fifty eight billion dollars. I'm sorry. Fifty eight billion dollars. All of these commitments, some total fifty eight billion dollars in June of twenty twenty one. One year later. Point five percent of that money had been realized. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a mathematician. Just pick up your smartphone, open up your calculator, and you can uh, multiply 0.5% times 58 billion, and you will come up with a paltry number. 
And so the question becomes, why are organizations, leaders, 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 why are they making these commitments and not living it out? Why is that money not being deposited into organizations, into efforts, into activity, supporting diversity officers and project leads and employee resource groups? Why is that money not realized? That's not a question that I can answer, but that is a question that every single listener should be taking back to their HR teams, to their leadership teams, to their board of directors, to the philanthropic entities, every single person listening. If you have an employer, you should be asking, did we make a commitment and are we living out that commitment? And if the answer is no, what are we going to do to change that? So that's a plus and a minus. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I mean, you, you say that that's a question that you can't answer. <laughs> However, I'm, I'm going to try and maybe tease some suggestions from you. I mean, what what could some of those factors be that that mean that leaders are not delivering on their promises? Yeah, a lack of serious commitment from leadership. And one of the things that I say, Bill, is that if we are going to do diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging inside of our organizations, the first and foremost thing is that leadership, the highest level of leadership needs to make a declarative commitment of its importance, of its criticality to the organization. That message has to be something circulated to every single employee inside of the organization. It doesn't matter to me if it's 100 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people. If you're like one of the large FANG companies, more than 130,000 people, I don't care. That message needs to hit every single employee. That's number one. Number two, I think we have too many leaders that are not willing to reallocate resources. And I just gave an example of resources. But when I say that, I'm talking both headcount and dollars. You have to be willing to say in your organization, if we are not doing enough or have not done enough or have not gotten started, I need to move some things around. I need to move some people around. I need to move some money around, but I need to show that my declarative statement is something that I truly believe in. Therefore, I'm willing to uh, assign resources, headcount to this mission, to this effort, to this work that needs to be done. And then last but not least, Bill, when I think about why we have not done it is because people have not been held accountable. There are a number of ways to hold people accountable and everything that around accountability is not punitive. I'm not suggesting that accountability has to be punitive. This is not a carrot and a stick conversation. This is a humanity or humanistic conversation. And so when I say accountability, sure, I want to see the highest levels of leadership be held accountable. I want to see directors and VPs and market leads and all of them to be accountable. Can that show up in compensation? Maybe. Will that show up in a promotion opportunity? Perhaps. Does it show up in them being assigned stretch assignments? Possibility. There's a number of ways for us to assign that accountability to those levels of leadership. But the piece where we miss most is holding everybody accountable. So whether your organization is a thousand people or 130,000 people, every single person should be asked one question, Bill. And that question is, what did you do to support 
our declarative statement around the criticality of DNI? Did you introduce us to an academic institution? Did you tell us about a community group or an organization? Did you show us a way that we can give in the community and build our employer brand and corporate cachet? Did you uh, provide us with some referrals for talent acquisition to maybe hire faster, better, more diverse? What did you as an individual do to support our corporate DEIB initiative? That one singular question asked of every single person creates a different energy and frequency in the organization. And it ties all three of those points together that what we say is important is being asked of each and every one of us, not just a few of us. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to switch focus a wee bit now and uh, offer some tips for our listeners uh, who are maybe either doing a job search at the moment or thinking about doing a job search, getting looking for a new job, or indeed on the employer side uh, and ways that perhaps they can better project their employer brand and attract uh, new amazing talent. So on, on the candidate side, Torin, how, how can candidates stand out uh, from, from the crowd? Any tips there? How, how can candidates perhaps push recruiters as well to, to work harder for them? Um, so for example, you know, th this is a changed world that we live in now. It's not just about salaries and so on. It's, it's about better benefits. It's, it's about making sure that a recruiter finds a company which has the right fit, the right, the right motivations, the right, um, uh, the right goals and aspirations in, in terms of how they look at the world and also how they treat their people. If you have any comments on the HR and Review podcast, would like to suggest a topic or speaker, or provide other feedback, you can contact us using the email podcast at hrreview.co.uk. We look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm thinking about it from a candidate standpoint of view, some things for me just don't change. And so one of the um, sayings that I've had for you know all of my time of recruiting, don't go to an interview looking for work go to an interview having already done the work. So number one, I want you to make sure that you can clearly articulate your creative contribution. When you look back over the last two, maybe three roles on your resume, you should be able to pinpoint one or two clear demonstrative examples of how you contributed to an organization and how that contribution was different uh, from anyone else's contribution. Like what did Bill give to the organization? So that creative contribution uh, is uh, to me salient. It's the number one thing that a candidate should do. Number two, market recon. You can call it what you'd like, but what I'm suggesting is you got to know the field. And as a candidate, if I'm not going looking for work, but having already done the work, I absolutely know my field. I know my company that I'm interviewing with. I know their top competitors. I know what's happening in the marketplace or in a couple of the marketplaces where they have presence or are doing business. I understand what it is that's going to make this organization thrive. How can I help them to collaborate, be efficient, create new partnerships, strategic alignments? I have to be able to speak to the field. And then last but not least, conviction. You know, 
uh, being mini mouth, if you will, and soft spoken and not really confident what in what it is that you are sharing, whether it be those um, creative contributions or those examples of efficiency or teamwork and collaboration, whether you have mastered a particular skill, if you are soft spoken about that and you are not speaking with conviction uh, authoritatively, then you are always going to put yourself in a position of question whether or not you are the best new addition to a team. So I say in three easy steps, creative contribution, market recon, and conviction. That's what I'd bring if I were a candidate today. Okay, thank you. And uh, what about on the employer side, Torin? During this great resignation, yes, I've mentioned that term again. Uh, what can what can recruiters do to help companies project their employer brand in the right places? Because that seems a lot more difficult than it was a couple of years ago, right? And, and to attract high quality talent in, in such a competitive environment. Yeah, so I talked a moment ago about that um, you know, corporate brand, that corporate cachet. And I think what recruiters can do a better job of, which they have not done necessarily a good job of, is be better storytellers. Um, I think that recruiters are awesome about finding talent, talking about the requisition. Um, but those things to me are part and parcel of, of doing the work of a recruiter. I think oftentimes when we lean too heavy on the job description or the open requisition, that's a historical account. That's a historical document. It looks backwards around what the role used to be. I think as a recruiter, we should be in a position of telling better stories about our organization and about the role. How are we looking forward on, in both? You know, where's the company going? How is this role going to evolve? These are the uh, challenges that we may have faced in the past, but these are the challenges that we hope to face, anticipate, run down in the future. I think as a better storyteller, you can ask that candidate to be able to articulate and show how they might creatively address some of the issues that we have faced in the past. Gives you an idea of where they see themselves, if you will. Let's just be better storytellers be able to talk about the organization and what they are doing around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, what they are doing to nurture and to seed an incredible culture, one that is dynamic yet agile, inflexible, and uh, emotive. I mean, what are we doing? What are we having leaders do to be more transparent, more vulnerable, more present? What are we doing? Tell better stories as recruiters. I think if I'm sitting in front of an individual and I can just really rattle off so many of these human things, not technical skills, not work, but human things, because we are humans working with other humans. Um, I think that I put myself in a different category than the largest of recruiters. Now, granted, Bill, when I say a different category, there may be a million other recruiters in that category with me. But that's saying nothing if there are 30 million that are out there not telling it. So I'm just suggesting let's do a better job of telling story. Why not subscribe to the premium version of HR in Review? You'll get ad-free content, early and extra episodes and more. Even better, although it's the premium edition, it's absolutely free. Sign up at hrreview.co.uk slash podcast. Now I want to talk to you uh, just briefly uh, for a minute or two about uh, Disrupt HR London, which is happening on July 6th. Absolutely. So after a couple of years, yeah, 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 after a couple of years of not being around, of course, because of uh, the pandemic, it's back in, in London, UK. And uh, Torin, you're going to be 
you're going to be joining myself and uh, the other the other co-hosts, Chris Bailey and the awesome Tim Sackett. You've spoken at Disrupt HR events in other cities in, in the past, and I believe that you've uh, really enjoyed it and you've been a massive hit. Perhaps you can give our listeners a bit of an overview of what they can expect from a Disrupt HR event. Um, and you don't need to tell our listeners about your particular session, but maybe just a little bit about uh, your style and, and uh, your delivery. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Disrupt HR was really, it was on my bucket list uh, some years ago. Uh, I had been hearing about this frenetic event, fast paced event. And, and I'm like, I said to myself, can I, can I stand and deliver for five minutes? Like, <laughs> Is it possible? And even as I say it out loud right now, I, I still I don't want to use the word marvel or the description. I marvel at it, Bill, but it really was a challenge for me. Can I can I compact all that I want to get out to individuals in a limited number of slides and a limited amount of time? And so the overall uh, view of the event, uh, if it's anything like it is here in uh, the United States, the ones that I participated in. You have five minutes as a speaker to deliver and to get a point across. It can be a point uh, of anything. It can be a subject of anything. It doesn't part. It, honestly, it doesn't even have to be HR related. You'd like for it to be, but it doesn't have to be directly related to HR. And so what I enjoyed when I did, you know, my last one in September back in Chicago, just the range of different topics that people stood and delivered on the range of experience from some of the speakers. Uh, my podcast partner, uh, I've run a podcast called Crazy and the King. I met my podcast partner at the last Disrupt HR event. And we've been now doing our podcast for over four years. It was her first time speaking in public, if I recall. Literally, her first time speaking in public, five minutes, she's standing there, nervous as a bed bug, uh, and I'm and, and I didn't even really know who she was, but I'm like, relax, you got it. Like you're here now. Let's let's just have fun. And so it's a fun event and it's one that I'm looking forward to in London. And while I don't know exactly what I'm going to say, I'm leaning more towards an extemporaneous conversation because there's so much happening around us, so much um, to be happy about, to celebrate. But there's also so much that causes call, uh, caution and pause. And so I don't want people to miss the beauty of diversity and inclusion, uh, but I also don't want them to be jaded by press releases and the fact that, you know, you might've hired one or two individuals or you've taken an unconscious bias training and you now tend to think that you've accomplished so much around DNI when we have so much more living that needs to be done. Excellent. Uh, and listeners, there will be links to the event in the show notes. It's happening July 7th, 6th, sorry, at uh, at the Royal Institution, home of the Christmas Lectures in Mayfair, London. Uh, and you can learn more at disrupthr.co forward slash city forward slash London dash UK. Uh, Torin, just before we wrap up, how can our listeners connect with and learn more about you? It's really simple. And again, Bill, thank you for having me and thank you for introduce, introducing uh, my voice to the new listeners over in London and abroad. Uh, in terms of finding me across all of the digital platforms at Torin Ellis, if it's the web, torinellis.com, if it's social media, at Torin Ellis, T O R I N E L L 
I-S as in Sam. Amazing. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Torin Ellis, it's been my pleasure chatting with you again. I can't wait to see you in London in July. Thank you so much. Absolutely. The HR and Review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk. hrreview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in-depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.